0: through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Hello, this is Leslie Gist, and you're listening to The Gist of Freedom. Tonight we Uh, have a great guest. How are you, Marianne?
1: Hey! Great, hi, Introduce you? The Introduce yourself to the audience um, Well, I'm Marion Douglas Ungaro um, Half of my family is from Indiana And so uh, that's why my family has a history with Fox Lake And um, I'm from Washington, I am in Washington, D.C. I'm a native Washingtonian, uh, black American It kind of goes without saying and um have a background in journalism and also international consulting and human rights and elections. Wonderful. Explain to the
0: audience how we connected
1: and what we're going to be
0: talking
1: well, about today. Well, it was through Facebook and a discussion on Facebook about uh, black American, I say black American, I prefer that term, um, historic black American resort areas and uh that was a particular discussion about Idlewild in Michigan. And then I raised an issue about uh well if we talk about Idlewild then let's talk about Fox Lake in Indiana. And uh so you were kind enough to respond and invite me to come on your show.
0: You tell us a little bit about um Fox Lake.
1: Well, um it's a it's a great community far as I'm concerned, um, my uh, grandparents built a cottage there um, black American families at at Fox Lake um, primarily come from Indianapolis, Indiana, but not only there's other folks there from as uh, far away as Detroit and other parts of the midwest generally um, and I remember i don't I, it would, I don't know that we've really had uh, a really full description of fox lake in a, in a book yet um but i expect that that'll happen because i remember a lady who was coming to fox lake from california black american lady but i don't remember i don't know i suspect possibly her family had had a connection with fox lake before she went to work in in california um so i kind of grew up there um i have cousins who know even more about it than I do because they lived in Indianapolis, but uh, my family would travel from the East Coast back to Fox Lake. Um, At some points in my life, it was like almost every summer. And um, so I feel very lucky that in addition to myself being born at Howard University and growing up on the campus of Southern University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, the largest historically black university in the U.S., that I also had the experience of um, my family in Indianapolis, the connection with Mrs. Walker, of C.J. Walker, and those neighborhoods, and also the community at Fox Lake. Um, I'm not sure how many houses around the lake, but... Um, And there are probably, I guess, fewer people now coming back to Fox Lake than there were uh, in the heyday, in the 50s and the 60s. Fox Lake apparently dates back to the 1930s, but I believe my grandparents built their cottage in the 50s.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Now, you mentioned uh, being connected and born uh, um, on a camp. You know, clear that up. Where were you born and, and how are you so deeply rooted in, historical black
1: institutions (laughs) well uh, yeah i was born on the campus of howard university freedman's hospital which of course was built for the freed black americans freed from enslavement and of course we are celebrating this year the 150th anniversary so freedman's hospital was um, built for to serve our people which our people still have Unmet medical needs. So it was an, an institution ahead of its time. It was right on time and ahead of its time. And um, uh, a new building was built, I believe it was in the early 70s, which is called, now called Howard University Hospital. But the building that is Friedman's Hospital is still there. It is now the John H. Johnson School of Communication at Howard. So that's how that happened. And the rest, you know, I can't, I take no credit, well, I don't take any credit for any of it, but uh, my father is from Indianapolis, and he um, was an electrical engineering professor. He trained as an electrical engineer. He went to Purdue University in Indiana. And then, as fate would have it, because since he was a black person, nobody wanted to hire him in his own hometown, he ended up coming to Washington and um, met my mom, and they got married here and everything, and my mother's family lived here. So we ended up living in Washington several more years, and then my dad um, uh, decided to accept an offer to teach at Southern University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, the main campus of Southern University. And my father started with some of his colleagues. He started the electrical engineering department at Southern. Wow. So you don't know anything else but uh, black history. You are hey. living, <laughs> leaving. So, you know. I, um, thank you. I take that as a compliment, really. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, it
0: is. And, um, you know, what do you say to people that say, you know, that the only reason you were embracing this African-American tradition in these institutions was because uh, you could not go to uh, the white institutions do you think your family had a preference?
1: Wow. Um, actually, the fact is my family does all of them. My family had the capacity to do all of them, and um, whenever they were able to, because my dad, there was no special programs for my father, my aunt, and my uncle, who all graduated at Purdue from Purdue University in the 1940s. Um, so, and going back to earlier generations, you know, Du Bois and um, uh, Carter G. Woodson, all kinds of, of black Americans known, and many, many that we don't know their names who got mm-hmm. degrees at, you know, at, at institutions that um, didn't have very many. You know, Black Americans, but they went there, as my family would say, they went there with their purpose in mind. They went there and did what they went there to do. They didn't get caught up in other stuff. They focused. They got what they went there for, you know. And uh, then they went on to do what what they had intended to use it for, which was often, as folks would used to say, for the betterment of the race. You know, you you get the the skills, you get the piece of paper, um, and uh, you've had the interactions. The practice and the academic environment, you know credentials and so forth, and contacts, and then if you so, so choose to to participate in our community, which our community you know was good enough, you were born into it, you know some different people have different choices, they had different choices in the past, and we have different choices today and choices in the future, but my family has always. Been uh, more on the side of choosing to uh, participate in our community, shall we say. Mm -hmm.
0: Do you see uh, that sentiment um, uh, still being fostered as far as what you said about um, for the betterment of the race? Do you see that as a motivation when students go, African American students go to schools, uh, HBCUs, traditional white institutions? Is that part of their motivation? To come back and to improve the race
1: I think it I think it is for many, and I think that's an that's an excellent question um myself my my background is in communication studies, and I mm-hmm. think that's an excellent question for social scientists for historians sociologists, and other people mm-hmm. in the social sciences um mm-hmm. we need we need quantitative data we need qualitative and quantitative data we need in other words, we need to collect data within our community about actually what people do and what they report about um, their their choices and opportunities. But um, I think what it is, because we also have to adapt with the times, and it was a lot easier for us to communicate with each, with each other in the past for a variety of reasons. And other people weren't competing with us for our resources, in in a sense, shall we say. They weren't competing with us. We were left to our own devices, so to speak. But now um, there are other parties who see a market in us, and they want that market. They aren't necessarily going to do anything for us. But if they can pull black students and faculty, um, you know, they pay, them the, pay the faculty a salary, um, mm-hmm. and, and maybe, they, maybe they will graduate the students, because that's very iffy. But they can use us as statistics and so forth, and, and pat themselves on the back. Um, but for us, the 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 the, um, the presence of mind that we have a purpose. We are a people. We are an ethnic population. We have the right to associate with each other. Um, and some people, it seems like today, since the '60s or '70s, some folks. Well, it, was, it goes back farther than that. It goes back farther than that. Uh, people who basically oftentimes by reason of their appearance, shall we say, because of their color, were light enough that they could go someplace else and have a different life, start a different life that was not in the black American community. And some people made that choice. A lot of people did not. A whole lot of people did not. But beyond the issue of color is, is the, the your, your mindset. And I don't think that we should take for granted our uh, self-respect, self-esteem as a people, appreciation of the fact that we are a people. We're not just a bunch of black people who just happen to be in proximity to each other. And so I think that there, we actually need to do some things in terms of ritual, ritual ceremony, mm-hmm. and institution. Mm-hmm. The NAACP is not enough. That's really not an ethnically based institution. Apparently, it has more to do. NAACP seems to have more to do in its relationship to the United States legal structure than it does in terms of the agenda of what Black Americans absolutely need and must have in terms of a legal framework for our actual our very existence. Excellent.
0: Well, it sounds like you've been speaking a whole lot about this subject. You're very prepared. Well, um, how how will a uh, Fox Lake or Idlewood, uh, Idlewild, I'm sorry, or Oaks Bluff, how can that help? You know, sustain and do everything that you just mentioned that the NAACP isn't doing for our community. How can preserving these types of institutions help us out in the grand scheme of that,
1: things? That's a that's a great question, and that has to do with our relationship with the land. Um, mm-hmm. Home ownership is part of it, but it's not the only thing, and it's not enough. Um, Do we have institutions in our community that are looking at patterns of ownership and participation? Um, It's important for us to have places where we can freely uh, associate with each other and that meet our needs, that meet our needs. I don't need places that have tanning booths, myself personally, You know, I always feel cheated when I join gyms that uh, other people have designed, and then, you know, one of their primary features is their tanning booth. And then when they give out the same kind of membership to everybody, regardless of the fact that you don't want or need a tanning booth. And um, so that's a tanning booth example. You know, I want something that, you know, with marketing, the way that marketing and um, market segmentation are today, things can be very targeted and tailored to meet the needs of the particular group of people that it's designed for. And I think that that's a great place for black Americans and other black folks to um, cooperate, whether it's in the United States or other populations of black people too. But right now we're here, we're dealing with this. So yes, I believe that the commitment to uh, continue our presence and tradition at Fox Lake, at Idlewild, and uh, the other places. There's um, a black resort community. And I, when I say resort, I'm not talking about, um, you know, huge hotels. This is actually very close to the earth. The black people mm-hmm. who um, built their cottages, these are not mansions, and nobody was interested in mansions you've got something that's extremely sustainable, very sustainable, um and modest in the healthiest sense of the term. And mm-hmm. that uh but we have to coordinate more, I think, with each other. And because we don't have our own country, you know, I, I feel that we're still colonized, period. And mm-hmm. so we're we're at the weakness. You're whim, right, you're anyways. right. The
0: cities you're right. Looking looking at
1: the different cities having all the same problems, yes, I think you're right. Yeah, so nice. so we, go ahead. we have a choice we have a choice. We have choices up to a point and then the will of this larger society kicks in and it was we already know, many times it's not on our side. So but we have hmm. we're supposed to have human rights. That that's not a national issue, that's an international issue. Which I have learned something about working as a human rights monitor Overseas, inter, uh, internationally, in several different countries—Bosnia, Kosovo, um, Haiti, etc.—so there's the issue of our human right to various uh, human association to have places to live and, and associate with other folks to to be able to have our families come together. People are always talking about family reunification. Nobody has helped our families reunify since slavery. There's been no mm. program. There's been no program wow. and the program. We, we have to have that. We have to have it, but we haven't asked for it yet. So actually, Fox Lake and Idlewild, it's amazing the people that you ha- that you meet when you are able, when you have the opportunity. I think for our youth, uh, the Scouts, scouting programs, um, church organizations and other kinds of, of uh, organizations for our kids, especially in the summertime, um, if they're not in school and they're not at home doing something constructive, that we would try to find ways to let our children go, you know, for a week or two to participate in activities, you know, c- c- uh, st- structured activities for kids at uh, these locations that we already have. Then there's, of course, the issue of uh, economic um, uh, sustenance, um, supporting our institutions economically. That's always well, been a uh, challenge. let me just, um
0: Interject. I know Steve Harvey had something, a program he and his wife, that was something to do with camps and different things of that nature. I think what you're saying is an excellent, excellent idea. How would you go, if we have other people who are members or have uh, land on different resorts throughout uh, the country, what do you want them to do right now? Should they call you up? if someone's Oh, no. Right now, uh,
1: you? Actually, uh, there's the Fox Lake property owners association fox lake uh, my family and uh the others there organized themselves i think it, that the property owners association started in the 1950s so there the website for fox lake community is foxlakeindiana.com so i would go to that website and um contact folks through through the website number one uh they'll they they will be getting active in the, in the next, you know, coming weeks and months getting ready for um spring through fall of 2013. And um also because of the wonderful proximity because it's not that far, you know, from Indianapolis to Detroit, uh Idlewild and Fox Lake, and I don't know about other places either, but I just know of those two uh relatively major. And so there are opportunities with the internet and all of these resources we have now, of course we can cooperate and and, uh, and find new ways to come together mm-hmm. in those com- in those communities and also things that are related to Fox Lake and Idlewild, but that are happening in Indianapolis, in Muncie and in Anderson, Indiana, and in Detroit and Ann Arbor um, and Battle Creek and so forth. Mm-hmm. Okay um, So
0: is there, Are you trying to tell me There is an association for all of these different resorts For Oak Bluffs and um, Martha's Vineyard So these these organizations Aren't talking to each other Aren't communicating That's a good As question you
1: know, I, I would suspect that at some level Some of them are But we mm-hmm. have so much going on This is such a huge country you know And mm-hmm. for the last 40 plus years our our own communication system black american um uh, organizations and communication has become um has has become decentralized and has kind of i don't want to say broken down but that's part of it you know that our communication mm-hmm. networks aren't aren't like they used to be, but we have again the opportunity a big opportunity and the need to reconstruct them in a in a better way okay take what we mm-hmm. had in the past. And build on it and make it better. Um, right. So, this, yeah, it would be great. It, it would be wonderful to that to find ways for um, um, Martha's Vineyard folks and and also there's the geographic thing, you know, uh, hmm. you know, to work with with the uh, resorts that are in one's area along the East Coast, those in the Midwest, and so forth. But no, it'd be great for them also to associate nationally because our people right. do move around. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, vacation time, and also in terms of family ties. uh, Family reunions. Yeah, family reunions, whatever, whether they're on the West Coast, down South, Midwest, Mid-Atlantic, New England, overseas, um, folks get around.
0: All right, nice. And um, are any of these resources, uh, to your knowledge, are they connected to the national preservation or historical societies? um, Yes,
1: folks. Fox Lake ha- is was declared a um uh still on the National Register of Historic Places, and I believe, and I actually I know Idlewild is also, um, and I'm pretty sure the one that Frederick Douglass's son was involved in starting over in Maryland, right here on the Chesapeake Bay, I believe that one is also. And you
0: mentioned um, Madam C. J. Walker. She, I just yes. read recently on Alilia Bundles. I, I think Alilia is your friend.
1: that you're funny. You're perceptive. She's a, a friend of my family. Yes.
0: Okay, A'lilia, uh On her Facebook wall, she had um, uh, a comment or uh, a video, I think it was, about a place in New York, which uh the, that um, African Americans led by Madam C. J. Walker were trying to. Um, start a resort in upstate New York, and the, the county purchased the land right from underneath them within a few hours from them signing the dotted line. Wow. So, yeah, it was heavy, and that's why I, I became, that's how I became interested in the subject. Um, so it seems as though you guys were lucky, the fortunate ones, because I'm sure that Madam C. J. did well, she was an open woman of the day, and she couldn't get it done it must have been amazing for you guys um, to be able to establish your result because it wasn't happening in this area in New York. The New York well, you to, area.
1: Yeah, you have to compare situations and, of course, the dem- demographic pressure in, in in New York. I used to work for Congressman Major Owens, who was from Brooklyn, New York. I worked in his mm-hmm. office here in Washington. but um, So I, I know New York, the city, a little bit, but... Um, You have a lot of people, a lot of groups competing for uh, resources um, in the the, uh, New York and New England region, and really black Americans are not viewed as one of the prime populations to get at least somewhat of their fair share. That's unfortunate for me to have to say that, but that's my view uh, of the U.S. North in general. Now, Midwest was a different story, and Fox Lake was started in the 30s. Actually, white people, apparently white businessmen, started it. I guess they wanted to um, make sure that black people—they were forestalling any possibility of black people ever coming in and wanting to integrate their resort communities. Possibly, mm-hmm. but everything is like—it's a, a mixed blessing or a double-edged sword. So, some people can mm-hmm. see it as segregation, but I. It because you know we own property there. I really don't right. care who's <laughs> the next door. Instead. Right? Why would you want to rent
0: property that you don't own? You know, rent. Just right. To say you but also it. the
1: motivations mm-hmm. for somebody else helping to start Fox Lake. Um, they may have had their own uh, agenda, but we have our agenda too. So I would love mm-hmm. to see. I hope that the black folks in New York could still um, establish a presence. Somewhere I don't know what the situation is now. So that's I just was going one
0: to resort. To that's just the history behind one
1: right.
0: resort.
1: There's the one here on the Chesapeake Bay is called Highland Beach, Highland Beach, Maryland, and that was started 1893. So that goes way back.
0: Oh okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to give the impression that um, there aren't any in this area because I know for sure I had a friend; her aunt owned one. Um, in New York, upstate New York as well. So I'm, I'm not positive about how many we have in this area. And I also know there was another one in um, in Pennsylvania. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. And but I visited that place twice. It was owned was by. Was it near
1: Philadelphia?
0: Um, n- mainly closer to New Jersey. Yeah,
1: East well, Yeah, is right by Jersey, so yeah, it was East Stroudsburg.
0: P, pa. Uh
1: huh. Okay. That's it's uh, a it's hill. A something to do with a hill.
0: Yeah, by the folk okay. notes, it was called something to do a hill. I'll ask my husband in a minute. Um, but uh, the um, there is a place in Tennessee that I I ran into by accident called Free Hills. It was a place founded for African Americans who were emancipated prior to the Civil War. Ah. Oh. And and this in the heart of. A white resort PGA, PGA tournament where all of those are being held, and um, I'm hoping that the black people in that area will be able to uh, to to preserve it and modify it and clean it up so that uh, it could be a place where blacks can um, hang out and enjoy just like all the other areas. So I'm I'm, I'm ecstatic about uh, Idlewild and and Fox Lake getting together and trying to preserve the history and, and you know, what do you think is happening? Is there a trend? Are people becoming more and more interested?
1: I don't know. I would love to see what the reaction is to our discussion tonight and I think that you uh would be it would be great for you to plan something else and myself as a writer, I'm gonna be mm-hmm. looking into trying to, to do some research on this and write something also. Um but um like I said, well, you know there's a market. I would love to have
0: there's a need. a conference. I think um if we can get a few other uh uh preservists and historians that are connected to various uh historical black resorts, I think we can definitely at least at the least get a conference going. In a serious discussion it could be a telephone conference, it could be one in person. But uh I really think this is a time to get together and preserve these places. Um, one thing that I get annoyed with when I'm attending the family reunions and different functions is when we're uh, renting and leasing out halls in hotels. It's just a waste of money. And many of us are connected to these historical sites. And I think it's important for the kids, the children, and they may not look as fancy as you said they're not, Resorts, they're cottages, but it's something about, um, you know, being on your own land, land that you own. Um, of course. You know, and of so course. I don't care if it if, if it doesn't look like a four star, uh, hotel. If it's mine, you know, and there's right. a chance that we can always build it up to look even better than a four star. So I'm trying to encourage people, um, within my own ranks. Um, uh, for instance, we. We're connected to the gift settlements in Ohio. Okay. And yeah, I'm trying to get those people together to say, you know, let's let's start having the reunions and the meetings here on the, on the land instead right. of um, renting other areas out. But that's that is my hope that if people are listening, and I know this is Super Bowl Sunday. Um, if you download the show, you know, the contact uh, Maryam. Give you your give your website again
1: um I, I have a um i have a, a blog but it's kind of like pretty much dormant but it is there it's called marion's blog and the the uh link is um it's on typepad marion m a r i a n dot typepad t y p e p a d dot com and um folks can reach me email me through that what
0: about
1: uh, Facebook? Yeah. Facebook is pretty personal. People can find oh. my profile and contact <laughs> me through they can message me, Marion Douglas Ungaro on Facebook. And um uh then also my LinkedIn profile. People can contact me through my LinkedIn profile also, Marion Douglas Ungaro on LinkedIn. Um I have, I have a few more this, questions for
0: you. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Okay.
1: I was just going to say that um, that in terms of economic models, because we are dealing in in very difficult economic times. But on the other hand, we've faced all of this the kind of stuff before as a people. We have faced it as families, as individuals, but but collectively as a people. And to look at the uh, model of cooperatives, an uh, economic co-op model, as opposed to the um, the strict, you know, capital. Uh, capitalist, you know, business model that um, uh, is usually the only one focused on in the U.S., but which is not working for a lot mm-hmm. of people, and and really hasn't always worked very well for us either, for a variety of reasons. Um, but economic co-ops, if we could look at, at that as a possibility, it doesn't have to be the only thing. And um, you know, economic models are not my 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 forte. But I do know that folks different groups are organizing to provide jobs and also to um to give each other- econo- some economic stability. you know what banks mm-hmm. and other financial institutions that are trying to make money what they will not uh provide for people anymore, especially uh below a certain income level or b- b- below a certain credit rating and 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 how we are grouped. Not every last black American, but many of us, you know, we are not seen as some other folks' target market. But I, that doesn't mean that we, you know, we don't have to, that doesn't have to be our, our focus. But right. looking at co- cooperatives, I think, is a good opportunity. Also, I was going to say, at Fox Lake, there was a family, the Fleming's, they had a hotel, or rather a motel. They had the motel at Fox Lake, which um, I worked there one summer, helping out to wait tables. Um, I actually had my daughter at the time. She was uh, a new baby, and I actually carried her on my back while I waited tables. We did that. I did that for a couple of months maybe. But um, so it wasn't just the cottages. But, but there wasn't, we didn't have, because we, we, uh, most of the business went to the town of Angola, Angola, Indiana, mm-hmm. which is a few miles from Fox Lake. And uh so we would do our grocery shopping in Angola. Although folks also they had the land, they could they grew gardens and uh fished for fish, you know, in the lake and so forth. So mm. but but the but we had a motel there. The um the Mar it's called the Mar Fran. A lot of people uh who are, you know, um uh regulars at Fox Lake, they would definitely remember the Mar Fran motel.
0: Mm, that's a wonderful piece of history. Are you close to Princeton? Is it close to Princeton, Indiana? Um,
1: I'm not sure where Princeton. In, I know Princeton, New Jersey. I don't know. Right. I'm not sure about well, Princeton, Princeton Okay, Princeton
0: is um was an underground railroad
1: spot, okay. and I was
0: wondering how close were you to um the underground railroad um stations. And the other question I wanted to ask you—you were talking earlier about um the co-ops, the co-ops. Yeah. Uh, As a a model. Well, prior to uh, the Emancipation Proclamation being signed, we had organizations called Mutual Aid Societies. Exactly. And I think, and and right now, every Thursday, for the next five Thursdays, we'll we'll be finishing up uh, a book, The Black Abolitionists, written by Benjamin Crowes. And one of the chapters is dedicated to mutual aid. And it seems as though the Mutual Aid uh, really helped us really make progress um, yes. from the time we were enslaved to Reconstruction, uh, so much so that they passed a law in Georgia uh, saying that we could no longer have these mutual aid societies. And if we wanted to continue them, we had to have $5,000 in the kitty. And that's yeah. how they shut our co-ops down. Um I think that we should revisit as a people these mutual aid societies and try to emulate them because this is, you right. know, we're in dire need, and we have these nonprofit groups such as, you know, um, Idlewild and Fox Lake and Oak Bluffs, and I think it's time to um, start there. Uh, you know, what would you do? What, what What is your take on the mutual aid and the transition from mutual aid Well, from
1: the the human rights perspective, the thing is that on paper, you know, Mm -hmm. um, we are supposed to have certain rights, everybody, human beings, and Mm -hmm. those of us who come from certain populations that have been historically um, oppressed, marginalized, and so forth, things are supposed to have changed and so forth, but then you see situations where choices have to be made and instead of giving us a break and favoring us, you know, you know, just like with affirmative action, I don't know that that should never have ended. And Mm -hmm. um, uh, because it's the business that that, 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 what what it was before has not been finished. It hasn't been halfway done, you know, Mm -hmm. but um, just having uh, having forces that sort of pull the rug out from under what we're trying to accomplish, unfortunately, this seems to have been the rule rather more rather than the exception for black Americans and The same thing when you you look back the thing is that there's very little explanation. I love to study history, I love um the study period, but I haven't yet myself personally I don't understand, for example, what happened to the Friedman Savings Bank. Okay, which was Mm -hmm. for our ancestors, which was not that far long ago, our great-great-grandparents, when they got out of slavery. um, I know my great-great-grandparents in South Carolina were business people. They had a – it's in the um, Columbia, South Carolina city directory. Uh, My great-great-grandfather's name is listed as having a store. And the family says that it was a restaurant also and this was in prime property in downtown Columbia, South Carolina. But then um, other folks uh, decided that they didn't want the black community to have a certain level of accomplishment and influence and independence and so forth, just like what happened later um, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, also with this current um, real estate scandal, uh, that did not all happen by accident. There was a uh, a, um, a legal uh, a legal services attorney from uh, from Atlanta. I can't remember his name right now, but I have the reference information. He testified before Congress in the year two thousand, eight years before the so-called financial crisis hit, about the pattern of banks uh, with predatory loans. You know, not to people who were buying too much house for the money or you know who were being greedy but black communities they would target black zip codes people who owned their homes you needed a new roof just to get a get a, a renovation done and mm-hmm. if you didn't pay close attention if you didn't pay an attorney to comb through an agreement uh very carefully you would find out that you were getting financially screwed for something that should have cost you five hundred or a thousand dollars, you know just as a as a number out of my head, and um people ended up losing their property for for things mm-hmm. like this, you know so mm-hmm. um and he this lawyer who testified before Congress in two thousand he was naming names, he was naming names of banks, he explained you know that this was being targeted to older black American homeowners and especially mm-hmm. women. Et cetera. So um, I don't know how many people are aware of that testimony or that part of the story because uh, so much has been said about um, people were greedy and so forth. Well, that wasn't the whole picture. And yeah, we, we, uh, right. we say in the black Can American Can you touch on the
0: farmers? Can you touch on the farmers in a lawsuit?
1: Well, The black yeah, farmers. Um,
0: They're very similar. Yeah.
1: Um, there's the Federation of Southern Co-Ops, which I strongly urge people to get in touch with them and to support them, even if you just send them $10, $20. The Federation of Southern Co-Ops, which I believe is based in Alabama. And because um, uh, I, I grew up around black farmers in Louisiana. Anybody uh, who's my age, you know, and I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a youngish grandma now, but um, uh, in in the 50s and the 60s, and the change must have started in the 70s maybe for I don't know what happened to the whole black farming community because we used to always have in the spring at Southern the uh, black farmers, um, uh, what would you call it? It was like a um, an agriculture fair. It was an annual fair. They, would, they came on the campus of Southern, all these bales of hay with the livestock getting their blue ribbons and stuff and um, other kinds of things going on, and I loved that. Um, that was the thing mm-hmm. about Southern, and also it was made Fair it a H large or
0: something H, the Fair H or 4-H
1: club or something like that? Yeah, I was in the 4-H. I okay. was in the 4-H. Yeah. <laughs> we had the 4-H, that's right. Hand, right. heart, hands, and something else. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. what the 4-Hs are, Head, heart, hands, and it's one other H, which some, maybe somebody else could call in later or whatever, Right. But, um, now, it seems as
0: though, you know, your family is definitely part of the talented 10th in Du Bois, but um, it seems as though you're true activists. Do they go hand in hand?
1: Does, do, what, the, uh, the, the activism? The activism.
0: Uh-huh. The activism uh-huh. and the talented 10th.
1: Oh, well, I don't like to think of it just as a talented 10th, you know, uh um um no, that's
0: the voices, you know I'm, I'm,
1: right, right, and, and but that's that was I don't think that was the whole picture anyway, because mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't even a tenth is one thing, but you know, you got the other ninety percent. Now when you're talking about a critical mass, you know, you need a critical mass of teachers, you need a critical mass of people teaching certain kinds of skills, you know, plumbing for example, or electrician, um mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So but I, I don't think we should be hung up so much on, you know, who's the enemy and who's the friend and mm-hmm. I, whatever they were arguing about back then um, mm-hmm. I don't think it translates directly to today. But, no, no, I do believe that people, all of us who have certain sets of skills, that mm-hmm. we have the opportunity and a place in the community to um, be able to, to share back um, we have the we have the potential, shall we say? But we do need to, to uh, have institutions in our community, and the NAACP. Um, I, well, the NAACP can't do everything, but the NAACP is also has different stakeholders, which is not only the Black American community, unfortunately. So they can't make everybody happy. That's the thing. And right. uh, if, they got, if they get out of favor with the powers that be, then their funding gets cut off. I think, you know, so but we need to have institutions in the community that help to coordinate the people who have the talent, the skills, the time, with places to be able to teach, with um the means to recruit the the, the students. I'm thinking about adults, not just kids and so forth, but our adults who, who need remedial uh training in terms of reading and basic
0: skills in order to be able to
1: get a job in this society, you know, we can we can do that. We have to do that. Right, we have right. to now you mentioned because Louisiana. I education I do believe mm-hmm. education and activism go hand in hand.
0: Excellent point. I'm glad you were able to get that out. Um uh, Louisiana, Katrina. When you talk about education and electricians and plumbing, how do, how does that relate to rebuilding New
1: Orleans? Uh, that's kind of a good question. Well, the thing is that we already always have to keep in mind other people's agendas, unfortunately. And that's a human rights struggle right there, because everybody who was displaced from New Orleans, Louisiana, um, I, I, I'm sure that in terms of international human rights norms and statutes, they have the right to return to their homes. They have the right but how to actually do that when uh, there's no pot of money? You know what's really going on. We need to be paying attention. We need to be. We that's another task force that we as a people should have. We need to. We need some new institutions. We need some new mm-hmm. grassroots institutions that are, are national in membership, national in coverage, but that are um, independent. That we that we run from within our own people, and to mm-hmm. uh, get the word out, get the message out, because folks should be firing up Congress, the White House, and the authorities in Louisiana and in New Orleans about what is being done to bring people home. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to know about mm-hmm. what has happened to people's title. You know, they were tearing down public housing that didn't have a problem. You know, they made decisions about charity Hospital. They could have, I, I, they, they were, they, on one hand, they they, they, were, they had the possibility of um, modernizing Cherry Hospital. I haven't kept up with what happened, but I don't think they chose to go in that direction. But you always have to keep in mind these, it's worse, it's worse than competing interests, because the deck is stacked for the ultra-wealthy wealth, and connected, and nine times out of ten, they don't want a community of people who are just living their normal lives. They're seeing geographic locations, you know, a a, a city area like New Orleans as a place where they want to maximize profit per square mile. They could put something else in there. A lot of times nowadays they're talking about casinos and, you know, other, other kinds of things, you know, hotels and so forth. But our people deserve to have a place to live. Not only that, we have to look at how this kind of, uh, uh economic development or or property development that's driven um along the lines of super consumption how is that going to affect the climate situation you know we need to be we need to be uh going to a more um not a low, low scale in terms of quality of life you can have a better quality of life and and have less waste that's what we need to be and our people are pretty good at that we're not right. for everything <laughs> you know we are we are good at making the most of what we have and we need mm-hmm. to keep our eyes on that prize and we have to we have to do battle with the interests that want to pave over everything and super air condition everything and then charge money for people to show up you know um uh, there won't be any 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 everglades there won't be any swamps and marshes in louisiana you know they almost destroyed the Gulf of Mexico. We don't know which way the, the poor gulf is going to go and all of the fishing communities down there um you know in the bayous and stuff they're 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 kind of like on the edge. Uh, now you a
0: world traveler. If you had to abandon the United States because of all the things you mentioned, what country would you recommend resettling? Well, I don't
1: know about recommending any. I mean, you have to you have to have permission to go places. You know, you can't just go to somebody's country and they're actually going to actually let you in. Because you know, I, I listen to many of our folks talk about Africa, but too many people actually haven't been to Africa. I lived in Kenya. Mm-hmm. My husband and I lived in Kenya almost three years in Nairobi, Kenya, and it's very rare. Actually, it's, there, we do have some privileged Black Americans, some people who are Pan Africanists and stuff. Um, who have had the ability to go and settle in some African countries. But that's not the rank and file of the people. I've heard some people talking about going to Central America. My sister-in-law, she's black, she's from Central America, but I am not so sure about how, you know, we have to know what are the agreements between uh, countries, uh, between the United States and um, our neighbors in the Caribbean and Central and South America, you know, that's a, that's a really good question, because the thing about black Americans, and this is the thing about us as an ethnic population, as an ethnic people, we don't have mm-hmm. anything else to go. There are Caribbean Americans who are here, and some mm-hmm. people are sort of counted in the black American population, or they've been quasi-assimilated into the black American population, but the reality is that the situation, the demographic situation for Caribbean Americans is not the same. If you can go to an airport and leave the United States and arrive at the airport in another country and you have relatives who can come pick you up at the airport or at least you can catch a cab and go to some relative's house, that's not the situation for black Americans unless you happen to be in a family. You know, my, my parents are both black Americans from the U.S., you know, and, and that's another thing for us to understand in a concrete sense. I mean, we used to, didn't. We took this for granted. People talking about Black American. I know who my family and community are, you know. And mm-hmm. if somebody has some family from the Caribbean, then they they're part Caribbean. But Black Americans mm-hmm. don't have that. We don't have relatives in Canada and in Britain, which is what the Caribbean mm-hmm. population people have. Mm-hmm. So, so, so we have mm-hmm. to think about, you know, where where else would we go. But we also have to um we have to we have to deal with the situation right here at home, us and Native Americans, and we are connected you know black americans native americans we we have the right now, which others uh they by law they um they undermined and forbade us to have any contact with each other in the past, and but some of but us
0: the natural resources have been exhausted
1: well they aren't but I mean, they' aren't it, exhausted they are not exhausted well, I mean, and i don't it, really it, see it, them being mm-hmm. exhausted i don't see them being exhausted but okay. uh but i mean it's we're talking about a, 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 you know stretching it out in time but if the trend continues to go along you know overuse and and contamination uh mm-hmm. like with the fracking you know the fracking and so forth right um, exactly yeah we we just try to live right <laughs> there's no easy. There's no easy answers. Right,
0: right. So you know the wise thing would, the the wise thing to do is to look at the the writing on the wall. If you have fracking, if everything is polluted, contaminated, you know, and you are having these hurricanes, and you know, we want to be loyal. We have an African American president, but at the same time, if you see all of these signs, for your own. Uh, Descendants, and you know we 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 start this conversation off with Idlewild and Fox Lake, you know we owe it to them to say these are some other options right so you know we owe it to them, and I think we have to as a people, if we want to you know preserve our race, and there's nothing wrong with looking around and having dual citizenship, especially if we have people like you who are worldly um and you know, that's the book I would want to read if you were to write one. You know, all the places well, you've
1: been.
0: You. Yeah, well, where have you been, and, you know, what would be the next suitable place? You start out at, with transferring your Idlewilds, your Oak Bluffs, and your uh, Fox Lakes to other parts of the world. The globe is shrinking, and, and there's nothing wrong with, um, I think, as black people. We've do it. we we've, we've done it in the past, and we can do it again. Um And I I want to touch on, you mentioned a a lot of different uh, topics that made me think of the book, Warmth of Other Sons. Are you familiar with that book?
1: Isabel Wilkerson's masterpiece. Right.
0: yes. Your stories seem like they come right out of her pages. Can you talk a little bit about that book and, you know, your background and the migration and everything like that?
1: Well, actually, I have not read her book yet, and I do intend Mm -hmm. to. But I've been researching my own family history and other black Americans also family histories for several decades. And the thing about us as a people is that really we have a maximum of three degrees of separation between us. People talk about six degrees of separation between folks. But you and me are talking here, and we very very well may be related to each other. The majority Mm -hmm. of black Americans around the United States alive today has at least one ancestor from South Carolina. And of course, many of us have a lot more. We have fa- family that came directly to South Carolina to wherever we are today. The whole my family...
0: grandfather is from Chester, South Carolina.
1: Well, there you go. There, my mm-hmm. grandmother was born in Pennsylvania, but her family came from Bamberg, South Carolina, as we say, South Kaki-Laki. You know, oh, okay. Bamberg, Voorhees College, um, Orangeburg, and on the other on uh, my my grandmother's mother and father. The, the, her, my grandmother's father was from Bamberg. My grandmother's mother's family was from Charleston and Columbia.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So, yes, uh, we need to be having heritage um, meetings, our own heritage meetings and associations, uh, folks with their roots, whether they're in Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama,
0: to mm-hmm.
1: uh, trace back right with the folks that you know in any major urban area, and you say, well, where's your family from? First of all, you have a lot of people from the same area. A lot of people from Mississippi went to Detroit. I think also Mm -hmm. some people from Alabama also went to Detroit. Um, And it was like that around the country. And I think Isabel Wilkerson's book goes into that, the patterns Mm -hmm. that were created like that. Then the last two uh, or three, no, maybe two, maybe, okay, three, I guess, if, if I count my daughter's generation. Uh, generations, people have gotten away from uh, the, the, the places that they came from before, and mm-hmm. to the point where they don't realize the the um, connections that we have with people who are right around us. So mm-hmm. to to take trips back, to go back right now in in um, in at Hilton Head Island because part of my family is Gullah. Part of my family is Gullah. My dad says when my grandmother and others didn't want them to understand what they were saying, they would start talking talking Geechee. Mm-hmm. And
0: um, so and
1: they're having a celebration.
0: I'm curious. With Pig Latin and Geechee, are they close related? And I was thinking when I saw the text messages, it looks like, you know, we have a new form of Pig Latin with all these different text codes. Can you touch oh, on that? You know, I
1: don't. No I don't think pig latin and and, and uh Geechee are not related no yeah, no
0: i know not at all but the, part of the the, what you said is about the, the encryption the encryption language to keep other people from understanding what we're talking about yeah that's uh, that, that's the connection
1: i I don't know I just know that mm-hmm. uh, the 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 Gullah people we mm-hmm. um there's a connection which I just learned about recently, the strong historical connection between the island of Barbados in the Caribbean mm-hmm. and Charleston, South Carolina, because of course this was all these were British colonies before there was any the United States. These were British colonies, not just British because uh New York, New New Jersey, Delaware, and part of some other areas up there, that was Dutch. So Journal Truth. Mm-hmm was her family was enslaved by the Dutch in New York. Before she spoke English, she spoke Dutch. So Mm. the different parts that were from, you know, folks from Louisiana, they were enslaved by the French. The French brought their ancestors over there, many, many people from Louisiana. And their family history records are either in French or they were set up by the Catholic Church and in the French system, and they have the best records in the country, even for people who were enslaved, because the Catholics let people get married and they registered everybody. They wrote everybody's names down. But we need to um, appreciate, and especially now it's Black History Month, but of course, so we'll, as far as I'm concerned, March and, and April is Black History Month too. But we have a, mm-hmm. a chance right now to look and, and think about the people that you live next door to, live nearby. And talk to folks who have uh same last names or you know share in your community what other surnames you have in your family, where your family is from, and it's amazing the connections that we have to schools, churches, clubs um mm-hmm. and so forth yeah,
0: wow, well, excellent point um and the Mormons they also have great records too. I just wanted to get that in there uh with your genealogy um. Uh, notes. Uh, human rights. Can you end this conversation by telling us more about your um, human rights work? Because I'm just curious. You, you talk about you. You've been a monitor.
1: Yeah. Um, yes. There is the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which we should all have a copy of and know. Um, human rights. The concept. The modern concept of human rights actually connects directly to Haiti. Haiti, human Haiti was Haiti established really universal human rights even when after the French Revolution which was uh to favor the working class in the, in France um to dealing with the uh with the against the the tyranny of the royalty and the rich but they still left out the black people they were enslaving in the Caribbean. And so Haiti of course was the first if they've created the first black republic, the first modern black republic. Um, so Haiti has a direct connection to international human rights. So I've worked in, I worked in Haiti uh, in the 1990s when there was a crisis there, and um, so I had to uh, write reports and go to meetings and so forth. I speak French, and um, uh, sometimes one would have to go and check on accidents and uh, suspicious deaths. Um, I worked around landmines in Bosnia and Croatia and Kosovo, so I had to take training. I was not in the military. I've never been in the military. I did not carry a gun, but uh, we had training, and um, uh, that's a whole other conversation. Which I have no problem talking about you mm-hmm. talking with you about that in, in, at another time. However, the okay. key issue is there are aspects about our human rights for Afro descendants of the of what is now the United States because black Americans we have been here since before there was a United States and we need to remember that. And the country mm-hmm. we live in now needs to remember it. And we have Afro descendants all over the Americas. It's not just us. We're not we're not alone. The black people in Mexico, mm-hmm. the black people in Puerto Rico, Cuba, Bolivia, Argentina, Brazil. We all our ancestors all came on different European ships in the transatlantic slave trade. So we should not, we we cannot be counted as just a national population. We are an international population in the Americas. You know, our our ancestry is in Africa, but it's also in those European countries, Portuguese, Spanish, French, Dutch, uh, English, you know. And in some places, like here in Bolivia, we have a lot of people with, with indigenous ancestry too. So we need we have to we mm-hmm. have to start writing a whole new chapter, our t- chapter of what it means to be slavery descendants, um not mm-hmm. people who worked who were worked like you know in slavery. I'm talking about people who had where somebody owned your ancestor, your family member, and had documents from a court that said they were owned by somebody literal slavery you know we mm-hmm. there has to be a chapter that addresses our needs, our history, and what rights do we have. You know, we should have land. We, sh- we don't have to go pay for something because we've already paid for it.
0: Mm, exactly.
1: And when you you,
0: you talked about Mexico and, and all parts of the world, I'm just learning recently through the book that I mentioned earlier um, how, you know, Frederick Douglass celebrated all these different countries who had abolished slavery. And so, right. you know, when, when they had 4th of July here in this country, Frederick refused to um, celebrate it until all the blacks were free, until Emancipation Proclamation was signed in the 13th right. Amendment. But, you know, it's surprising to know that Frederick and the black abolitionists back in the day were so united and were traveling abroad and, and getting money and support um, from different parts of the world who had already ended slavery. So, right. So, you know, when, when you mentioned um, uh, Mexico, Mexico, I just learned how Mexico was a safe haven. It was part of the Underground Railroad, and the war was, the, the Mexican war was literally started because exactly um, the they refused, war. Right, they yeah. refused to um, the stop bringing slaves over to Mexico. Yeah,
1: the United States wanted them to continue with slavery and to return people who had escaped. So there's so right. much of our history that we, we really, you know, shows like yours, uh, we, we, we need to know, we have a right to know. We have a right to know that most of our ancestors fought with the British. When their, when their slave owners, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and the others, slave owners, Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death, slave owner Patrick Henry, when those folks were, were rebelling against Britain, the British government said to our ancestors, if you fight with us, we are going to free you. And it was not a hundred percent. They didn't. They were, didn't. They they didn't not lie to us at all. But what mm-hmm. they said, it held it held true. They did abolish Britain abolished slavery thirty some years before the United States did, and they didn't have a civil war. Britain right. abolished slavery.
0: Isn't that slavery. amazing?
1: Yeah. Right, without yeah, a civil war. Abolished black well, it black in civ- eighteen thirty four. Jamaica right. and Trinidad and mm. those places, slavery ended in eighteen thirty four not eighteen sixty five and the last right. country, cause it wasn't like I said, it wasn't just us Brazil was mm. the last country in the Americas to abolish black slavery, and that didn't happen until eighteen eighty eight almost the twentieth century.
0: Mm. Oh, the next wow. to the last
1: the next to the last was Cuba, and Puerto Rico was like eighteen seventy six or something.
0: So we won't go there if it's time for us to resettle. somewhere. those are the places to cross off the list. Um, last question. <laughs> when you talk about human rights and mass incarceration, the complex and the prison industrial complex, what yeah. your take on the human rights and where do we land in the list of countries that uh, have... Um, you know, people in prison.
1: The United States is the worst, the worst in the world. As Mumia Abu-Jamal recently said, that the United States is on the way to becoming a, a big um, open-air prison camp. Um, and the United States has the highest incarceration rate in the world. Um, mm-hmm. And something about we, the United States, I forget, has 4% of the world's population, but 25% of the prison population in the world, Ooh. most of which is black Americans. So this is an issue of ethnic cleansing. Uh, folks have been trying to, uh, to, to, to push down our population since uh, after slavery ended and they didn't really need us anymore. I remember seeing some reports when the 1900 census came out, there were people who were like shocked and disappointed that our numbers were not going down. This was documented at least in one comment that was made in the International Herald Tribune newspaper. In 1900, about the, the, the results of the 1900 census, and um, uh, then right now, the state of Virginia—you look in the news—and right now, they are trying to settle with people that they forcibly sterilized, including men mm. um, who, without their knowledge, you know, without informed consent, um, and this. In, in Virginia, it started in 1924 where they had a racial, the Racial Integrity Act of, of Virginia of 1924. And it was what they call eugenics, E U G E N I C S, which is this t- racist thing. And it says white mm-hmm. folks are at the top and that we are like not, you know, we're undesirable and stuff. But they were, they, were, they were sterilizing people from 1924. Well, they were doing it before that under some other name. But up until 1979, this program went till 1979, and now they're talking about giving people fifty thousand dollars a piece, which is nothing. What is somebody going to do fifty thousand dollars? You have no progeny, you have no descendants, your your whole line has been cut off. So to look, we don't. Where are our demographers in our community, Leslie? Um, who? What is the impact of having women and men, primarily men, but also women? Locked up for an x percentage of their economic productive span and their uh reproductive human reproductive yes. lifespan
0: yes um mm-hmm.
1: also to have people's families disintegrate what the children are neglected and uh have to other relatives and other people have to take up the slack while their uh while their parents in the prime of their life are incarcerated oftentimes for little or nothing. You know, and certainly when you compare that to destroying a family, what, what is more important? But obviously this country has decided keeping them incarcerated, you know. So we have to, I mean, what what effect does that have in the present and in the long term? Because it has depopulated Washington, D.C. and Detroit and other black communities all over. People who are locked up have not been able to work and contribute financially and haven't been able to raise their kids or have kids. And then these poor people who are coming out now who are, or haven't come out yet, when they get back, there's not going to be no hood for them to come back to.
0: Uh-huh. You, you said it. And you said it. They're locking them up in their prime. The times when they should be getting married and uh, finishing school and getting educated, they're locked up for 10, 15 years. Um, yeah. And I up.
1: thought it used to be that prisons were supposed to train people, but that's not what I'm hearing. But that's another yeah. thing that gives us an opportunity to help people by, uh, when I was in college at Lincoln University, we used to go to Gratiford Prison in Philadelphia and do some uh, tutorial work with um, with the inmates there. But mm-hmm. there's just a lot of stuff that we can do. And, of course, unfortunately, um, it's not that I, I I appreciate the government. I think the government did the right thing when they stepped in down south and, and so forth and enforced um uh, um, U.S. law in terms of voting and um, public accommodations that black Americans had as much right to sit at a counter which or we ride always, on... Which we sports. already had
0: previously, which we had previously in, in many of the parts right. of the country. It was taken away. It away. Right,
1: right, right. right. taken right. away in the 1890s. But, right, but as Jim Crow. But, uh-huh. um, yeah, but the government... Now you have the uh, folks who are not our friends who have decided, well, if we can't get rid of these black Americans, let's get, away, get rid of the government that has supported their efforts right. to do different things. So mm-hmm. we've got to deal with that. But in the meantime, while folks are trying to cut back and, 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 and make like there's like no federal programs anymore, we have to take up the slack and find new ways to solve the same old problem of survival right. for us. and secretly.
0: Yeah. And not show our hands so much, though. Um However you uh, to last...
1: do it, whichever way it takes.
0: Right, you're right. Um, we're going to have a um, screening in New York City, uh, Slavery by Another Name. Uh, are you familiar with that film?
1: Yeah, I had heard about it, about the book.
0: Yeah, it's on, P- it's, it's on PBS. It, it first uh, debuted in last year, last um, February. And, you know, you sound like somebody that like, really we should be on the panel. I hope you'll be able to attend uh, in New York City at the Audubon, the place where Malcolm is assassinated. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So his wife, Dr. Betty Shabazz, before she passed away, she was able to um, have the place uh, memorialized as an educational center. So Wonderful. now it's being used. And they have a 100 year lease. Oh, um,
1: fabulous.
0: Right. So they're going to host, um, along with uh, one of his daughters, Rihanna Shabazz want to host the screening, and I hope—I know you're in the DC area. I hope you and your friends might be able to come down on the 16th Saturday night, and um, you can add a great deal to the discussion with the human rights aspects. I mean, I—I I got a serious education. You talk so fast, I couldn't take notes. So we only have stop. to ask you to come back, and you know, well, really, I you. want you—I would love to have you at um, Shabazz Center. Uh, we need that point of view. So, again, this is well, a very I'm, insightful. You well, know, I'm
1: open. If you have somebody that would like to get in touch with me about that, that's fine with me because it's not far. And I, I love Amtrak, so it's not eat hard to get back and forth to the city, up to where mm-hmm. y'all are at. But um, mm-hmm. one just has mm-hmm. to plan. That's all.
0: Okay. Well, well, we'll definitely have someone contact you, and we'll get you on a list to try to promote it as fast as we can that you're going to be there. So, Again, thanks so much. I know the game is going on. I don't know where we are at, at the Super Bowl, but who are you rooting for?
1: I'm actually rooting for the sisters in New Orleans to not be caught up in the um, sex business and human trafficking that's going on down Uh-oh. there with around <laughs> sports events. Like, Yeah, yeah. I, I want to see ladies get a serious opportunity to have a, a decent life and um, you know, and I, I don't call New Orleans the Big Easy because that's what that name comes from. It's the Crescent City. That's the nickname of New Orleans, the Crescent City.
0: Crescent city, so, Crescent meaning? Yes. Yeah.
1: Crescent, like a half moon, like a croissant. Mm-hmm. You know the, the the French bread. Yeah. Mhm. Crescent.
0: Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, thanks. Right. Thanks again, yeah. Mary, and have a good night.
1: Thank you, Leslie. God bless. All right.
0: Okay. Bye
1: bye-bye. So, bye. Bye-bye.